Completely detached from reality. Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock, editor at QuorumReport.com, and here as always, Houston Chronicle reporter Jeremy Wallace. Hello, sir. Oh, nice to be ready to go for now that we're out of the primaries. You know, it's like the travel mm-hmm. schedule is still kind of busy, but not so bad. Yeah, it feels there's a different feel to it. The uh, the biorhythm of the political season changes as you come out of the primary, you go into the runoff, and you have some candidates, uh, including those at the top of the ticket, who are already basically running their general election campaigns, right? Let, let's start with that. You were all over the place. You were in Fort Worth, uh, where the president was visiting this week. And I, I bring up the president first, not to bring up what he was there to talk about first, although we will in just a second, uh, but to say this, that Oftentimes, and we have said a version of this before, we'll probably say it again more than a million times before November, seems like Governor Abbott, almost all the time, except when he mentions Beto O'Rourke by name, the rest of the time it sounds like he's running against Joe Biden. Yeah. Does that seem right? Yep. Um, Right on For most of the things things that come out of the governor's campaign right now, Abbott was on the border – as you know, as you've got Biden in North Texas, you've got Abbott in South Texas this week. And I think you may see Abbott there a lot, right? This is where the Republicans are trying to make incursions this year. Abbott wants to talk about the border. So guess what? We'll talk about the border. That's fine. He was there to talk about a lot of things, including the flow of fentanyl into this country, which he says Joe Biden does not care about at all. Did you see the old pieces of unused border wall that uh, that Abbott was was uh, shooting a video with while he was there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Abbott was saying that um, it's a real shame that this uh, this building material that was purchased by the Trump administration has never been used, and so Texas is going to use it as the state builds its own wall. Everything that you see behind me. Uh, these are wall panels that will be going up to build the border wall in Texas. The cool thing about this, we didn't have to pay a penny for it. This was surplus material uh, that uh, the Trump administration left on the ground that the Biden administration inherited. And because the Biden administration was not using it, we were able to obtain it for free. Uh, and now the wall that Biden refused to build, Texas is using that material to build the border wall in Texas. Just a big campaign prop, a border wall in Texas, uh, and as the governor was speaking there, he did get into this issue of fentanyl flowing into the country, which is a real thing, of yeah. course. And it's something that, Jeremy, you have noted, the president has talked about quite a bit, hasn't he? Yeah, and that's apparently the debate within the Abbott administration as to whether or not Biden's really talking about enough, you know, mm-hmm. Uh you know, the, 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 the according uh, listening to uh, Greg Abbott, like he's saying, look, the Biden administration is not doing enough to stop the flow of you know fentanyl coming to this country, and so we've had to step up. And they're now talking about like how they've had to seize thirteen hundred pounds of fentanyl, and you, you you can hear it at every campaign stop, any even beyond campaign stuff. But you know, Abbott's always talking about how this is enough to mm-hmm. kill every man, woman, and child in Texas, uh, and he's having 
them to step up for Biden. But Biden, in their administration, the Border Patrol, is reporting that they have had record seizures of fentanyl themselves. They've been seizing 800 pounds of this stuff every month since Biden took office, which is far more than what was happening under President Trump. So yeah, it. Mm-hmm. It seems that because there is so much commingling of state and local and federal resources on the border right now, this is one of the things that allows for the people running for office to really confuse people about what's being done there. I think when I was in the Valley a few weeks ago, if you were in, because they have surged so uh, many law enforcement resources into that region, Jeremy, if you were driving to from one place to another place, it didn't matter how far it was, uh, every half mile or so, you would see a DPS car or a CBP car or the local police or the local sheriffs just waiting on you to mess up because they didn't have much else to do. You know, they're, they're down there seizing, uh, you know, fentanyl, some other things. And uh, also, of course, making these uh, arrests of uh, migrants who are quote unquote trespassing. But if they're not doing that, they're looking for you speeding or whatever. Now, it is, as I said, just detached from reality to say that this administration is not focused on these things, on uh, immigration and border security. Now, all of these folks have different uh, you know, policy prescriptions for exactly what should happen there. But I went back and pulled the tape, Jeremy, as I let's go to the tape. And I looked at the State of the Union uh, comments from the president. And as I was watching the video of the comments on immigration and border security, even the very junior senator from Texas, Ted Cruz, stood and applauded as President Biden said this. If we are to advance liberty and justice, we need to secure our border and fix the immigration system. Yes, I think we can do both. At our border, we've installed new technology like cutting-edge scanners to better detect drug smuggling. We've set up joint patrols in Mexico and Guatemala to catch more human traffickers. We're putting in place dedicated immigration judges in significant larger number so families fleeing persecution and violence can have their curses, cases heard faster and those who don't legitimately hear can be sent back. Some of what he is saying there, Jeremy, is the kind of stuff that President Obama was criticized for by some on the left, immigration, uh, you know, immigrants rights activists who would say that Obama was the deporter in chief. Uh, you had uh, this administration, uh, the Biden administration, uh, criticized by some folks in the Democratic Party for sending back those Haitian immigrants, for example. Remember those uh, folks who were at the border and they put them on a plane right out of this country. And some of what he talked about there that Ted Cruz was applauding are the kind of things that you would do and prioritize if you wanted to stem the flow of what? Of fentanyl. And so this is something that did come up as the president was visiting us in Texas, uh, where you saw him in Fort Worth, right? Yeah, absolutely. This is coming up everywhere he goes too. It's like so in Fort Worth, he was talking about the opioid ep- epidemic. Was a it was a piece of that discussion up there. You know, in D.C. on on Thursday night, he brought it up uh, again. Uh, his the White House has regularly been putting out 
reports to the media and have been having briefings. You hear Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, talking about it all the time, you know, about this opioid problem and the fentanyl problem and the amount of uh, fentanyl coming across the border and what they're doing to stem it and what they're doing to kind of, you know, do more you know, awareness campaigns, you know, throughout the country when some of the steps they're taking. So it's coming up all the time. And in Fort Worth, he was mostly talking about veterans issues, but he made sure to kind of, you know, break out to talk about the opioid crisis again. Uh, again, this is all contrary to like what, you know, Abbott's saying he's not talking about it at all. And like, I'm, I'm kind of left with this thought mm-hmm. that like, he is talking about the opioid crisis. He may not be specifically talking about fentanyl all the time specifically. But when you're talking about opioids, you're talking also about fentanyl, which is a synthetic opioid that is being added to things like heroin uh, to make it more potent, which is why you're seeing so many overdoses right now, you know, throughout the country is this like, is this, you know, people are getting this, not realizing it's like a hundred times more powerful than morphine. And so you hear Biden talking about this stuff, but it's like, it's clearly just not going to be enough for Abbott, who sees this as an opportunity to talk about Biden's open borders. You know, it's like, this is like, nothing's going to change that. He wants to talk about this issue. And even if the facts show that, you know, Biden is seizing more fentanyl at the border than Trump was, it doesn't matter in this case. It's like, there's a political point to be made Mm -hmm. in and Abbott proved, you know, down in Westlaco, he's going to make it no matter what. <laughs> yeah, and the same points are always made about the border no matter what. Uh, you know, how many times have you listened to uh, any of these uh, state legislative oversight hearings dealing with uh, the Texas Department of Public Safety where the, uh, the, you know, the facts on the ground can be spun however a politician wants to do that. If there are, so when it comes to migrants, for example, if they are detaining lots of people, they'll say there's this crisis at the border we're detaining so many people if the numbers are down on that they will say well we must be missing all these people right they're, they're coming through and we're not getting them right so yeah. no, no matter what the facts are it doesn't matter they'll say the same things well and it was interesting i, I thought in, like, you know in a in another universe where like people get along in the politics and so like you know abrasive right now mm-hmm. uh in another world you know biden and abbott together are both saying, look, between our you know, combined efforts, we're stopping twice as much fentanyl coming across the border than ever before. Look how well we're working together. Mm-hmm. That's really what's happening. You know, it's like, but it, are either one talking about that? No. It's like, but, you know, I think they both deserve credit. You know, clearly the Border Patrol is getting better at finding fentanyl. Mm-hmm. Granted, there's a lot more coming across. So, of course, they're going to get more. And Abbott, by having so many people like working on it, like they're seizing a lot more too. And so together, it's kind of a good news story potentially of, you know, the federal government and the state government, despite being at odds with these politically, are actually doing a good job in seizing more fentanyl than we've ever seized before. But none of that matters no. when you're worried about midterm elections, right? <laughs> right. Well, the truth is always the first uh, casualty in any campaign, believe me. Um, there is a, a development this week that I had never seen. And when I checked in with veterans of Texas politics, and I'm talking about folks who have been at this for decades, Jeremy. Uh, people, uh, The folks I talked to this week about it probably have about 150 to 200 years of experience cumulatively in Texas politics. I said, have you ever seen anything like this? And the answer was no, never. We had a member of the billionaire class in our state, and the the Texas oligarchs will not be questioned. (laughs) Um, One of the billionaires here is a guy named Kelsey Warren, uh, who is the chairman and former CEO of Energy Transfer Partners. This is a giant gas seller 
here in Texas. And Beto has been making this case, uh, and I, I've seen people make fun of Beto on this, you know, when he talks about the companies that made off like bandits, bags of money in the middle of the night while Texans are freezing to death. But it can sound kind of conspiratorial. You ever see those uh, those memes where it's the guy who's looking at the cork board and he, he's showing you the connections between all the different people? Um, and so you do have his detractors say that he sounds conspiratorial about this, but it's pretty straightforward. Beto was in Dallas, and he was once again making his argument for what energy companies did during the winter storm when we had hundreds of Texans die and other people have you know, lots of damage to their homes um, and be just stuck in the sub-freezing temperatures for five days. While Texans froze to death, energy corporations made billions of dollars. And I, I wanna make clear, that this is really important for what I'm about to tell you. They, they did so illegally. There is a state statute, state law, called the Deceptive Trade Practices Act. And it specifically prohibits price gouging when there is a declared disaster or emergency in the state of Texas. And specifically cited in the code is fuel. Uh, you're not allowed to charge exorbitant rates for the fuel that literally ensures that we can stay alive when there's an emergency or disaster in the state of Texas. These gas sellers made $11 billion in profits over the course of just five days in February. And again, I wanna make clear, they did so illegally. Of that 11 billion or so, 2.4 billion of it was profits for the company headed up by Kelsey Warren, Energy Transfer Partners. And Warren is not only a major contributor to Governor Greg Abbott, he's also one of his political appointees. He has served on the Parks and Wildlife Board, as you have pointed out in your coverage, Jeremy. And he also, and I was reminded of this this week, it's easy to lose track of where people are in state government. Uh, Warren is also a current Abbott appointee. He serves on the Board uh, of Regents at the University of Texas system. And apparently you had Warren's campaign, or excuse me, Warren's uh, lawyer reaching out to Beto's campaign and saying, you need to stop talking about this because you're, you're sliming our client, Mr. Warren. Um, you're defaming him. And I can imagine they must have a cease and desist letter because Ab because yes. because uh, Beto's been running around talking about this over and over again. He, he, he has said, look, these energy executives like Warren did rake in billions of dollars during that storm. And he says that Warren's folks have been reaching out to him. For doing this, I have been directly threatened by Kelsey Warren of Energy Transfer Partners. As I was meeting with you all over the course of February, I began to get letters from Kelsey Warren's attorney telling me that I had to back off this story. I had to stop connecting the dots or else there would be consequences. Beto said, he wasn't about to stop talking about this, and he said it was for a good reason. In just this last week, we have now learned that he is following through on his threat, and he is going to try to take me to court, use his billions of dollars to try to shut me down and shut us up from telling the story of what happened to the people of Texas. He's trying to stop me from fighting for the people of Texas. And just as we did before, we are not backing down right now, but I want you to know that this is happening. That not only is he trying to influence the political process through the campaign donations that he's making, 
Not only did he make illegal windfall profits off the suffering, misery, and death of our fellow Texans, he's now trying to shut us down in the courts through a frivolous lawsuit. Jeremy, one of the things I wonder about with uh, an issue like this and a story like this is, is it a little too complicated? It, you know, there, there are so many um, aspects to it that you have to keep up with for you to care about it. And I do know one thing about Texans is that in general, folks around here don't like corruption, although they do seem to put up with a lot of it in their state government. And this has gone on for, for many decades. So I thought this was kind of clever. Um, you remember the show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Yeah. Is that show even still on? I, I, that's one of those syndicated shows. Maybe it's still on, maybe not. I don't know. But everybody knows that show, right? The uh, group, The Lone Star Project, which is a Democratic group, well, they were comparing the Abbott and Kelsey Warren situation to that show. And they did a parody of it. This is called Who Wants to Bribe a Billionaire? Welcome to Who Wants to Bribe a Billionaire? Let's look back at how Greg Abbott landed $1 million. First, Abbott ordered power prices to stay sky high while Texans were freezing, helping his buddy's gas company make $2 billion. Next, he's forcing Texans to pay higher energy bills for decades to cover his buddy's profits. Then, he gave his buddy's company a pass on having to winterize their equipment. In the end, you guessed it, Abbott's buddy cut him a check for a million bucks. Quid pro, uh-oh. Texans frozen and f***ed. Abbott gets paid. Okay, so that kind of puts all the things in, in one neat little package for people, right? Um, but I don't know how many people are actually going to see that. Uh, but Beto, I think, has an opportunity here for a variety of reasons. One, I, as I mentioned at the outset, have never seen, and veteran observers of Texas politics had never seen, a member of the billionaire class, a GOP mega donor, who, as we have said here, is somebody who can cut a check for a million dollars to Greg Abbott, never seen somebody in that position lash out at a candidate running for office personally in this way, taking them to court, suing them for defamation. And, of course, the attorneys on Twitter and who listen to this will quickly point out creating deposition opportunities for Beto's attorneys. They're going to go to court on this thing, uh, apparently. And now I wonder if Abbott's folks, and you know, immediately the Abbott campaign said, we don't have anything to do with this. Correct. This is not our deal. This is not our deal. And believe me, when I tell you, that's one of the quotes from the Abbott campaign that I immediately thought was correct. Yeah. That, that, yeah, <laughs> that yes, there's no way they wanted one of their contributors to be suing Beto, when the question has been, how much did Greg Abbott have to do with having those energy prices be so high that week? Remember, billions of dollars in profit. And it was because, as we have described on previous shows, the commodity, the megawatt hour of electricity jumped from around $30 a unit up to about $9,000 a unit. And it was at $9,000 for five days, instead of what some folks, including the lieutenant governor, who's no liberal, the, the, Dan Patrick has said that it probably should have only been at 9,000 for two days, certainly not for five days, right? This was a big point of contention during the legislative session last year. And with that kind of aggravation, with that kind of situation, 
you have to ask yourself, who made that decision? Now, there are multiple layers of bureaucracy here, right? You've got the office of the governor. And as has been pointed out to me, in state government, if you do an organizational chart, the office of the governor is at the top every time, Yep. right? So they all answer to all the state agencies answer to him. Public Utility Commission is under the office of the governor. ERCOT, the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, is under the PUC. And what did Abbott's folks say about this a year ago? They said the governor had nothing to do with it, with having the electricity prices that high. But what we learned from a bankruptcy proceeding in Houston a couple weeks ago from the former head of ERCOT, Bill Magnus, was what? He testified under oath that keeping the prices as high as possible, that that directive came right from Governor Abbott. And you also, in that proceeding, had the judge dismiss the former chair of the PUC, the Public Utility Commission, Deanne Walker, from the proceedings, saying that she was not being truthful in her testimony. That would be a person appointed by Greg Abbott. Now, as we have gone through the different issues that both sides in the governor's race want to talk about, this is the one that Beto wants to talk about maybe the most, and maybe the one that Greg Abbott wants to talk about the least. So if you have one of his contributors suing Beto in the middle of the summer, and there are depositions, and, and people were asking, would the governor be deposed in this? I'm sure at one uh, energy lobbyist said to me, I'm sure the governor's attorneys are going to love the fact that there's going to be discovery uh, requests of the governor's office and of his, of him personally, you know, for what went down here. Yep. All this does is open up liability for the governor. I had some Democrats asking me, said, this doesn't seem like a good strategy on the GOP's part. And I said, this is not GOP strategy. This is a billionaire who's angry that he's been dragged into this campaign and he feels he's been smeared by uh, Beto O'Rourke. You saw in uh, what uh, Warren's uh, attorneys had said in their filing, and this like this is totally normal. I'm being sarcastic. Totally normal for the the legal filing to call the defendant a quote a failed politician. <laughs> I mean they're they're very angry with Beto. This is not GOP strategy. This is straight up anger from a rich guy who doesn't want to be dragged into a political campaign. But guess what? When you are an appointee of the governor. And when you have made political contributions, you are a political player. As you pointed out, Jeremy, on Twitter, he's not just a private citizen, as he wants to say that he is. He's at this moment, Kelsey Warren is a government official. Yeah. As I said, he is on the board of regents at the at the University of Texas system and was on the Parks and Wildlife Board. Well, and, and his company was a major player in the Dakota Access Pipeline. If you remember that whole like fight, you know, back, you know, what that five, six years ago now, is like his mm -hmm. company was in the middle of that. And he was a very public you know, figure at that point as well. So it, it's strange, you know, when you read the filing, he's, he claims he's a private you know, citizen, you know, which would be, the, you know, important when you're trying to make the case of defamation and libel and things like that. But this is not what's happening here. It's like, mm -hmm. and so and going back to what you said, you know, it's like, you know, for Beto O'Rourke, so for months, he's been kind of traveling the state on this topic, right? He spent a couple of weeks, you know, kind of talking about it. And he kind of like, at least from my perspective, as a reporter for the Houston Chronicle and San Antonio Express News, I was starting to kind of like, okay, I don't want to write another story about him, 
you know, going on about this issue, right? It's like we've, we've yeah. said enough. But what happens? Warren, you know, sues him. And so every paper in the state of Texas now has an entirely new thing that we all had to write about. There was no choice in the matter. And so right. and, and it wasn't on the front page of every paper, but it was certainly in every newspaper and every TV station in the state of Texas talking about the power grid and what happened and reminding everybody about what was going on and gave Beto far more platform than I'm sure the Abbott administration would ever want to have him on TV. He was all over the place for that, you know, for a couple of days straight, you mm-hmm. know, and so it, it, yeah, it's really an unforced error or, you know, in on the case of Warren on behalf of Abbott, essentially, yeah, right. you know, really kind of like really kind of not doing him a fa- any favors, you know, when he's well, trying yeah, to I, change I mean, the get... topic to fentanyl in the border, please. Right. He doesn't want to be talking about the grid. He doesn't want to be talking about, you know, connections to, uh, you know, his contributors and how much his contributors, how much money they made during the storm or anything like that. And the uh, testimony from Bill Magnus in uh, Houston also caused the Texas Senate to hold a hearing about all of this. Once again, this week, uh, the chairman of the Business and Commerce Committee, uh, Charles Schwertner from uh, Round Rock, uh, from Williamson County, from Georgetown, um, uh, Schwertner said that what Magnus had told them about Abbott calling the shots on this is not what Magnus had said about it during testimony, testimony before the same committee last year. Uh, and so they wanted to look into it even further. And this was something that was not picked up on by a lot of people, Jeremy, but I was, I was listening to some of that hearing this week in the Texas Senate, uh, Nim Kidd, who is the chief of the emergency management division, uh, you know, of our state government, the guy who's basically in charge of responding to emergencies from the governor's office, he was asked, if we had another storm like that, are we ready for it? And the short version of his answer is no. And that is going to come up again. These things are going to come up again. When we had, I think as you pointed out, Jeremy, when we had some icy weather a few weeks ago in Texas, it reminded people of what it was like to have that storm unfold over five days. The storm that we had this year Nothing like the one that we had last year. But as you would go to the grocery store leading up to this latest weather, and if we have any more rough weather on the way, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, but when you would go to the grocery store, you could tell the Texans have PTSD about what happened. Yep. People are not just stocking. When we, when, when we have inclement weather, people aren't just stocking up for the bad weather. They're stocking up for a blackout during bad weather because they remember what happened. And then to be further reminded that while they were miserable, and look, a lot of people were just miserable and didn't even have any damage to their homes. Maybe, you know, hopefully there was no loss of life in their own family, but they were miserable. And then to find out that there were people who were making billions and billions of dollars on the back of that is really gross to a lot of people. And somebody said to me that, well, the timing of this thing with a, with a, with a Kelsey Warren uh, maybe it's uh, way too early in a campaign cycle to really affect anything, you know, by November. But if this lawsuit goes forward, I think the real significant stories about it may be stories about depositions, stories about, uh, you know, who gets deposed, uh, who has to answer questions under oath and that sort of stuff. And that could potentially happen in the summertime and after Labor Day leading into the campaign when it is the very last thing that Governor Abbott would want to be talking about. 
Well, and, and here, let me give some advice to Mr. Warren and to any billionaires who are listening to the podcast this week. I'd like to just give you a little piece of advice. We have lots Do of have mm-hmm. a problem with like how far Beto's taken this thing? I get it. Like he's gone pretty extreme in his language. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like if you have a problem, here's a tip. Call me. <laughs> you know, pick up the phone, call the reporters, tell a reporter that you think that Beto O'Rourke has taken this too far. Get yourself a story in the paper, make your case, but don't go to the courts and make it a story everywhere. <laughs> and it just overtakes the Abbott campaign for the week. So, like, because if he had just come to us, because that's the thing, you know, you and I talked about this a few weeks back when Beto was in San Antonio. It's like, I was yeah. remarking at that point, his language had gotten so extreme. And when he had started talking about bribes, that's when I kind of lit up and go, okay, he might be pushing this too far. And I think Warren's right, right that he is pushing it too far. Well, but maybe. Not too far on in the sense of you know you know political speech against a donor who makes billions of dollars and is clearly right. a public figure if there's anything yes. that makes his whole lawsuit kind of questionable is like that claim that he's a private citizen and not a public official is insane it's like there's no way on earth that he could be considered a private citizen after being mm-hmm. on these boards and commissions the regions you know having very public roles in other political fights you know it's like yeah come on give me a break yeah and you know i was reminded uh, in december that you remember this governor abbott summoned kelsey warren and other energy executives to his office we reported this first at quorum report um, and the idea was that Abbott was going to have these energy executives come to his office and assure him and give the people of Texas assurances that during the winter months, the electricity grid would be just fine. Yep. And some veteran observers of politics here said to me, they said, well, that kind of sounds like the governor is happy to have those energy executives be collateral damage for him if there is some problem with the grid. If there was some issue... If we had rolling blackouts for some reason, and it could be, you know, during the winter months, it could be during the summer months. If that was to happen, then the governor could say, well, I had these guys come to my office and they told me that it was going to be fine. So if there's a problem with it, it would be their fault. It would be the fault of people like Kelsey Warren, of people like, uh, you know, electricity producers and others. Um, so the turnabout is fair play. Uh, you know, when when Kelsey Warren filed this lawsuit, I don't think that he was angry with Abbott or anything. I think he's just mad at Beto for dragging him into this campaign as he sees it. Um, But if the governor didn't mind having those energy executives as potential collateral damage for him, if there had been a problem with the grid, I don't think Kelsey Warren has any reason to, you know, worry about Greg Abbott being potentially collateral damage for him in this lawsuit. If it turns out that not only is it inconvenient politically, but also could create uh, actual some you know, legal liability for the governor if he's had if he's had, you know if he ever has to answer questions about any of this. Yeah, it's all about who your friends are, right? <laughs> like, and like <laughs> if uh, if Abbott's going to use them, you know, in Warren's case, yeah, I don't. Again, I don't begrudge Warren from being upset at some of the oh. language that's being used out there and the mm-hmm. way he has become a part of the campaign. But he also mm-hmm. has to realize, like. Abbott um, among he's among Abbott's five biggest donors right now, you know, in this reelection campaign. It's like uh, there's no way you're escaping public scrutiny. 
You know, everybody right. on that list, uh, anybody who gives over, uh, here's another piece of advice to all the billionaires out there. I'm just filled with billionaire advice here today. But like all billionaires, if you give a million dollars or more to any campaign, I don't care if it's Democrat or Republican, you're likely to be in a story. You know, your name is going to be. It's just going to happen. You do that. Yeah, <laughs> you right. Well, I, and, and this goes back to, you know, discussions about uh, the, the way that money is uh, contributed and spent uh, in Texas and other places. You have folks who think that they uh, should be able to give money uh, and not be considered part of the process. Yeah. But you are part of the process. Nobody made you give money to a candidate. You are part of the process. Right. My advice to billionaires or to anyone who wants to give money to a candidate is either be in politics or don't. No yeah. one would, no one made you do that, right? You, you chose a side, you have a preferred candidate. That's fine. With these people who are giving unlimited amounts of money in Texas, there's no cap on contributions. People Correct. can give, people could give a billion dollars if they wanted to yeah. under Texas law. They could do that. And I don't see anybody doing that. We'll see things have, you know, under Greg Abbott, things have gone to another level. It, 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 we, we could be about to level up here again. But um, but the fact is, those people are relying heavily on a Supreme Court decision called Citizens United that all across the country, same thing. You know, people can give as much money as they want. Corporations, you know, would donate and individuals can give money. And in that decision, what did the Supreme Court decide? That that money equals speech. So guess what? If you want to speak that way, there's people who are going to speak back and you may not like what they have to say. Um, when I say detach from reality, this next story gets to the point too. You see that there are um, some legal maneuvers happening today when it comes to the state of Texas versus some of these families that have transgender children who are going through what they call gender affirming care. Uh, the attorney general, Ken Paxton, and our governor, Greg Abbott, have made moves recently to have the state investigate these families if their children are going through that kind of care. And it's being classified as what? It's being classified as child abuse. This topic was tackled head-on by the Human Rights Campaign. Rebecca Marquez is their state director, uh, and they had a news uh, conference just recently uh, at the Texas Capitol where Marquez pointed out that there was a proposed law at the legislature to do what Abbott is doing, to, to, to say that it's child abuse if these kids go through gender-affirming care. But that law did not pass. Evidently, Governor Abbott was not content to push his hateful agenda just every two years through the legislature. Instead, he felt compelled to find another way to target and harass transgender children in a way that completely circumvents the legislative process. He announced it last week, and this week, loving families of trans children are under investigation. While this approach is new to unique to Texas, the effort to limit rights of transgender people is not. She talked about the fact that there are multiple states where the same kind of thing is happening. And I saw this uh, just this morning, uh, Jeremy, in some major newspapers, including the Dallas Morning News. Uh, some uh, major corporations have come out and asked the state, as they put it, to back off of these anti-LGBTQ plus efforts 
uh, these companies, and these aren't just the tech companies anymore. You remember in 2017, it was mostly, uh, you know, Silicon Valley sort of companies that were fighting with Lieutenant Governor Patrick about the bathroom bill. Yeah. It wasn't just them, but they were primarily the companies that were out there. Uh, and there still are some of those for sure. But financial institutions, I see Dow Chemical, which I don't think anybody could say is some liberal company. Um, BASF, um, you know, Ikea, you've got uh, REI. Um, and then, of course, you do have the tech companies as well. I see Yelp and Apple and other major players like that as well on this list. They're saying that, quote, our companies do business, create jobs and serve customers in Texas. We are committed to building inclusive environments where our employees can thrive inside and outside of the workplace. For years, we have stood to ensure LGBTQ plus people, our employees, customers and their families are safe and welcome in the communities where we do businesses, uh, where we do business. They say that the governor needs to abandon all of this. And as I watch this play out, Jeremy, and there have been some stories recently in various uh, news outlets about how this has become some sort of a litmus test in the Republican Party that you have yep. to stand against, quote, transgenderism, which I don't think is even a word. It, it occurs to me that, and by the way, I understand that English is an evolving language. So if it's not a word today, it might be tomorrow. But... <clears throat> You get it. <laughs> but um, as I watch the attorney general and our governor make these moves, they're doing these things that seem to be designed to placate a certain segment of the Republican Party. And we talked about this previously on the show, but they, they're just doing these things. And it almost to me feels like they're going through the motions of doing these things. And I don't feel like their heart's in it the way it is for some other people. Now, he didn't come up with it because this is something that is all over the place in the GOP right now, but Ron DeSantis, the governor in Florida, you may have seen him speak about this this week, and he is just out there full-throated, angry at these companies. He would be just as angry at these companies as, as he is at uh, Disney, apparently, in Florida, which has made a similar stance. Disney has said that, you know, look, the state government shouldn't be pursuing this. Um, listen to DeSantis here and tell me if Paxton and Abbott aren't trying to get at the exact same energy that DeSantis is trying to tap into. So here's what I can tell you. Uh, in the state of Florida, uh, we are not going to allow them to inject transgenderism into kindergarten. <laughs> First graders shouldn't have uh, woke gender ideology imposed in their curriculums. And that is what we're standing for, because we're standing for the kids and we're standing for the parents. Uh, and I can tell you this, there, the chance that I am going to back down from my commitment to students and back down from my commitment to parents' rights yeah. simply because of fraudulent media narratives or pressure from woke corporations, the chances of that are zero. Jeremy, you can hear how excited his supporters are there to hear him say he's not going to back down to you know what the what the radical left wants when it comes to this uh, issue of the children who are transgender. Uh, the reason I say this is also um, divorced from reality is that you have DeSantis doing that, you have Paxton doing what he's doing, you have Abbott doing what he's doing. This all happens on the same day that this headline appears in the Houston Chronicle. 
A Texas foster care home was supposed to help sex-trafficked kids. Instead, it was trafficking them. Now, you may know that the state of Texas has for years been under court supervision. The state of Texas is under court supervision for its foster care system, right? Because there's a lot of what going on in the foster care system. There's a lot of abuse going on in the foster care system, and nobody denies this, right? This is from the story from uh, Kayla Harris, who is in the Austin Bureau of the Houston Chronicle. Uh, employees at a state-contracted foster care facility established to help female victims of sex trafficking were instead trafficking the children who were staying there. State officials admitted on Thursday. The operation is in Bastrop, outside of Austin. It's called The Refuge. There were 11 children, ages 11 to 17, who were staying there. State officials began receiving reports of sexual abuse at the facility in late January, when a state staffer alleged that a former employee had sold, and listen to this, while they're talking about kids getting transgender care, and that being some kind of child abuse, this is what's going on in a state-funded facility. They had sold nude photos of two young girls who lived there and used the money to purchase illegal drugs and alcohol for the girls, and are trafficking these young women. The these young girls and again we're talking about I said, excuse me I said women these are girls 11 to 17 is what the ages were the judge who oversees all this and again it's amazing the state of Texas has a judge down in Corpus who oversees the state's foster care system because the courts don't trust the state to not have abuse going on with the kids that are under their care right the judge said quote the most appalling thing about this is the disregard of these children. You had to wait to get eight calls before you took 11 female already trafficked children out of this trafficking situation. This is a system that remains broken, said U.S. District Judge Janice Jack, who has been uh, overseeing that lawsuit that was brought by multiple people. It's a class action suit, uh, Jeremy. She's been overseeing that for 10 years. Yeah. But this kind of stuff going on in state-funded facilities and... Where's the outrage about this? Now, I will give the Speaker of the House, Dade Phelan, credit. He immediately said uh, that a House committee would investigate what had happened in Bastrop to try to make sure this never happens again. But these things have been going on for years and years and years. And there's not this big outcry from really, either, I mean, obviously there have been people who have been advocating for these children, but there's not big outcry from really either political party about this stuff. These are kids who, uh, you know, with the foster care kids, it's really unfortunate. A lot of people who talk about it and, and know about this issue uh, and have studied it deeply know that these are the kids that people don't care about. Then you have, and it's sad, it's terrible. Yeah. And then you have families, I want to underscore this, families who are trying to provide health care for their children who are being accused of child abuse by the same entity that's putting up with that in its state-funded facilities. What do you think? Yeah, the, uh, trying to, uh, these foster care systems, like in every state, there's always issues. You know, don't get me wrong. I, I know that. Like, yeah, sure. But it would be great if like we knew for sure that like we had some voices in, you know, the power in Texas politics and, you know, meaning Republicans, really taking leadership on it. You know, it's like somebody who just like, you know, would, you know, make this like a big deal. It's like, you know, 
put some of those resources in this state. Like we have so much money coming in the state, right? And like, how can't we figure out how to do a little bit better? You know, it's like, cause it's, it's not just this one case in Bastrop. It's over and right. over again. We see these stories, you know, and yet we can't get the resources. It just feels like, you know, somebody just needs to step up and say, that's it. We're going to do whatever it takes to make sure kids through no fault of their own who are in this system, just get some care. Like, they, they just give them a break, you know? It's like, and to think that, like, you can't even be safe at a state facility to take care of foster kids, that you're not even safe there. So where? Where can these kids be protected? Ugh, it's frustrating. Well, it, it's, it, it is frustrating, and um, it is just a, a complete lack of priorities. And, and look, plenty of money is there. We have a quarter trillion dollar budget in Texas over 24 months. Every two years, they they write this giant spending plan. Um, and as has been said before, the way you and it can sound very boring when you get into you know the way they're writing the state budget and you know the the kinds of programs that the different money's going into. You know, this is this kind of uh, funding and this is that kind of funding and all that sort of stuff. Um, but at a very base level, uh, your budget is a is a uh, list of priorities, and, and, and the way some have put it is it's a moral document. It's a statement of what you really value, right? And with these kids, they don't. And so I'm just here to tell you. They just don't. And so what I'm here to tell you as we wrap up the show here on a serious note um, is that before the state of Texas lectures any of these families about their kids and what they're trying to do for them, we need to take care of the kids that are in our care because if they're in the if they're in the state of texas care that means those kids belong to all of us yep right yep. so i i am uh all talked out <laughs> and um i think we're going to take next week off and for this reason it's south by southwest in austin so i am going to get out of this i'm going to get out of this town i am certainly here as, as we as we tape on friday i am not going to downtown austin probably for two weeks. I'm going to stay in my neighborhood, you know, whenever I'm here. But next week, I'm getting out of town. I'm going to Philadelphia for the first time. I've never been there, uh, going with my daughter. And, uh, you know, I'm going to check out some of the cool – have you been there, Jeremy? Oh, many times. Is that one many of the places times. you've visited? I'm going to call you for recommendations. But, I mean, obviously, I need to see all the historical stuff, the Constitution Hall and, you know, the, the Liberty Bell. And somebody was telling me about the um, – there's a museum, I guess. They have uh, George Washington's tent. On display, that they they put that up there a couple of years ago. I got to check all this out. And as I was doing my research ahead of the trip, I always punch in cigar lounges on Google to see like, you know, what what kind of cigar lounge situation there is. You know, if you're in Houston, you might see five or six pop up. If you're in Dallas, you might get to ten. I think Dallas is pretty cigar friendly. I was just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. There's a ton of them in Philadelphia, so I'll be set. I'm <laughs> I'm I'm ready to get out of well, here. I'll be in the pack with all the South by Southwest people looking for mm -hmm. music. So somewhere, okay. somehow I will be listening to a lot of music that's mostly free. So good. Can't beat that. Well, yeah. I, I figured you would be in the mix for the music part of that. The other stuff is, um, there's a lot of interesting stuff there, but I'm not going to brave those crowds for any <laughs> reason. If you enjoy this show, you know, you do, you should be a subscriber on Spotify, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, however you listen to your favorite podcasts, give us the best rating that you can. The ratings have been really great lately. It's, it's all five stars and leave reviews. The reviews are creative and interesting and, and, and mostly nice. 
Leave us a nice one if you could. Subscribe at quorumreport.com, houstonchronicle.com. We'll see you week after next here on the show. And for breaking news, again, go back to quorumreport.com, houstonchronicle.com, and we'll have, we'll have you covered. Thanks. Talk soon. Mm-hmm.